0: Mostly Harmless is brought to you in part by Dink. D I N K. Denver's independent comic and art sex. Well, it's coming to Denver March 25th and 26th to the Sherman Street Event Center. Dink, of course, is Denver's newest fandom experience and is brought to you by the creators of the Denver Comic Con. It is a fun, first class expo with an emphasis on the spirit and community of the independent comics world. The focus is on furthering the impact and cultural relevance of the comics, graphic novels, zines, publishers, and most importantly, the fans who make up this fantastic community. Now, not only is Dink bringing you the finest in independent comics entertainment, Dink will be given back to you and the community by working with nonprofit organizations such as Denver's Drink and Draw, Love Hope Strength Foundation, and many, many more. Already confirmed guests for this inaugural Dink Expo are guys such as Dennis Kitchen, the founder of Kitchen Sink Press. We got m- former Mostly Harmless podcast guest and Westward contributor Noah VanSkyver. Not to mention they will have guys like uh, New York Times best-selling graphic novelist Nate Powell, Eisner Award winner Jim Rugg, critically acclaimed cartoonist Julia Wurtz. And then you got independent favorites like Alex Robinson, Amy Reader, who's a Denver native, and then uh, Mike Dawson. There are so many more guests to be announced for this fantastic event. I've seen the guest list, buddies. There's some cool people coming up. So for more information on Dink, you got to say it right Dink, Dink, D I N K, please visit dinkdenver.com. We're looking forward to it, buddies. We couldn't do this event without you. We see you there March 25th and 26th at the Sherman Street Event Center. All right. Cue the theme song. Motherfucker. Hello, friends.
1: Welcome to the Mostly Homeless Podcast. I'm your host,
0: Damon Damien. All right,
1: buddies. Today, I'm sitting down and I'm having a very special chat with my good friend, Miss Heather West. Now, Heather is the owner of Western Publicity. She does PR for bands like The Smoking Popes, uh, I don't know, Naked Ray Gun. Not to mention, she does all the PR for Riot Fest. And, uh, you know, back in the day, she used to work at Victory Records at a time when they were breaking bands like Taking Back Sunday. So Heather has some pretty awesome experience in the PR world. I first worked with Heather a few years back. uh, One of the first, probably the first Riot Fest Denver, to be honest with you. Uh, We met backstage, and I don't know, we just clicked. Uh, There were a few times over the years of working with the Riot Fest Denver gang. I'm just hanging back kind of later in the evening, in the after hours, when the, the madness of the day has calmed down. just hanging back and just sitting and chatting with Heather and I found that Heather just has some of the best stories Uh, she's done a whole lot of work she's done a whole lot of cool cool things and uh, I really wanted to get her on here to tell not only some of her cool stories but to tell her own story I like the idea that not everybody involved in music is so uh, in front of the microphone you don't necessarily have to be on stage you can be a part of the music scene in any number of important roles. And publicist is uh, just one of the more important roles. So the idea is maybe somebody sitting out there is like, oh, yeah, I want to be in a band or I want to be a part of the music scene. Or, I don't know how. Maybe they'll hear this and be like, hey, maybe I can go be a publicist. It's pretty cool, right? And then also I know a great number of bands who are at that level of needing a publicist or some buddies who uh, think they need a publicist but really just need to be out there and do their own damn work. Uh, And I wanted to talk a little bit about what a publicist does, how to get where you need one, and uh, what they look for in uh, signing somebody to their agency. Uh, I think we got some really cool stuff In this little chat we do today Uh, Heather is a really rad Rad, 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 rad young lady And I think you'll think so too after listening To today's episode Uh, Now we recorded this episode a few weeks back At Roscoe's Pub When I was uh, in Chicago to see The loved ones play two back-to-back shows At the Cobra Lounge Heather was kind enough to help me set up an interview with Jeff The lead singer of Naked Ray Gun And then we also worked on getting an interview together With Josh from the Smoky Popes But unfortunately Unfortunately, uh, Josh had to babysit his kids, and we just couldn't make it. Oh, well, next time. Uh, before we get into that interview, let's thank our sponsors of Dink, Denver's newest uh, comic book convention, March 24th and 25th at the Sherman Street Events Center, and also our good buddies at Ratio Beerworks at ratiobeerworks.com and 2920 Larimer in Denver, Colorado. We're going to be hosting a Mostly Harmless Live podcast taping, uh, one of our live talk show events. It's going to be presented by Dink. It's going to be at the Ratio Beerworks Tap Room. It's going to be Monday, March 24th. I'm sorry, Monday, March 21st. Ah, I got too many dates in my mouth, buddies. Uh, we're going to have special guest comedian Mallory Wallace. Dink co-founder Charlie LaGracia, and musical guest The Ghoulies in a discussion that we are calling Revenge of the Nerds. Also at Ratio, I'm going to be hosting the Ratio Sessions on Saturday, March 12th, that's this Saturday, with Ray from Teenage Bottle Rocket, or as he's going by right now, Ray Rocket. Uh, Visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com for more information, uh, or find all this good stuff on Facebook. Uh, So before we head back in time to that chat at Roscoe's Pub with Heather and myself, let's listen to one of Heather's bands. Um, She sends me a lot of cool stuff, and this was, this guy, Brett Newski, is one that she really, really, really wanted me to sit down and chat with while I was in Chicago. Fortunately, we just couldn't make it happen for uh, time reasons, and um, he's got a really cool tale and a really cool story and I, i've already rambled on long enough right here um, but please go check out his website i believe it is brettnewski.com um, and i'll have that link on mostly harmless with this episode and uh check out what this guy is doing he's traveling all the, over the world playing music and doing super cool diy stuff which is probably why his newest ep is called hi-fi diy ep whole lot of letters, but I love it, buddies. Uh, So let's listen to a song off that EP called Black Taxi Car. And uh, yeah, buddies, let's take a listen.
2: This is how it begins. You're kissing the bricks on the sidewalk This is how it begins You're spinning and speaking
3: Every time
1: we hang out, you always have the best stories. Oh, thank you. Like you just told me you were in Slacker.
4: Yes, I was. Um, and
1: then we were, uh, I remember I remember sitting backstage at Riot Fest Denver and you were telling me stories about how, you know, the Smoking Popes, I was like, I love the Smoking Popes, and you were telling me all these stories about Eli and Matt and Josh, and I was like and then it went from there into other stories you always had really good stories and you work hard and i think you're an unsung hero of sorts well i I think
4: everybody that works for record labels or in this industry are even not i mean not even but up to and including y'all you know the journalists the podcasters it's like if we're not all shining a light on these musicians they're out there driving around beating their heads into the ground for nothing
1: and, and, and I think that, I, don't, I can't think of another publicist who's done anything maybe like this. I know Jamie does some stuff, Jamie from Sidewan, But it's like, I, from your end, what your experiences are in this world and how bands can get ready to be good enough to come to you. And what you need from bands and what you can do for them kind of thing. If you want to talk about those kind of things...
4: Well, I mean, you know, I'll start off by saying that every band, whether they're 18 or they're 57, all want to be on Pitchfork in Rolling Stone, and they want nowadays to be on NPR. All of them. Not Um, nice. Well, and noisy. (laughs) I mean, I could name a few more. Stereo Gun, you know, but it's like they have this really finite group of publications that they immediately think that they need to be in. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. You know, you build your quiet storm from the bottom up. Um, and, And every band is different. Every project is different. But with young bands, you know, you have unique challenges because they're young. They don't have a story yet maybe they wrote one record but they haven't done anything yet there's no hook to hang your hat on you know when you're when you're trying to tell the story of this band i mean when i started with taking back sunday you know the first time i ever saw them was i think their first show in chicago i'm 99.9 percent sure and there was about 43 people at the fireside bowl you know, and then a few years later I was getting a gold record and, you know, we were like doing late night TV and doing all this awesome stuff. But you don't go from one to the other very often like in six months. Usually it's a build over a couple of years. You have to like develop a fan base, people who care about you and, and a story and like things to talk about, things to write about, It, you know. I mean, in the top 40 world, I feel like it's different. I feel like they can throw money at an artist and and make them a thing overnight. But in our world, the real world, that's not how it rolls. You build a fan base. Even bands that I would prefer not to ever listen to, like Twenty Nine Pilots or something, those guys are still carrying their own shit. Yeah. You know, and they built a fan base in Ohio, <laughs> of you know, of, of all, all places. places. Yeah. And now they're huge, and they've got chart topping releases and stuff like that, you know, and that's how you have to do it. That's how you have to look at it as, like, a business that you're building, just like if you started you know, any kind of business, a doctor's office or something. To me, it's the same, except that you're creative. So then what do you do? You have to start delegating. You have to be like, okay, this is the guy that'll, like, count the merch. This is the guy that's funny. Put him on the social media. Like, If you delegate, then everything can happen. If it's like, everybody's fucking up but one guy then he's going to burn out and not be in a band in three years you know yeah. but my job is to help that process along you know it's like you make good music and I figure out how to talk to people about it and how to communicate what makes you special and who to communicate that to and that's not necessarily pitchfork right off the bat you know maybe it's a, like you know some smaller zines and then you just kind of build it from there yeah. Um, but my job is to communicate why you're special and why it's important that people should listen. And I take it really seriously because maybe you took a year or two to write those songs and then you took six months to like record it and mix it and you're fixing to commit to a year of touring to promote it. I can't let you down. Like that's not okay. You know That's, that's not okay. And all the best people I know in this business feel the same way about it, because it takes a long time to, to create something that you're gonna put out in the world. And then we have like you know, six, three to six months, or if it's successful, maybe we have a whole year to keep working it. But initially, if we don't work hard enough in that three months and it falls apart, I feel responsible on some level if I think it's really good record. And so I, I can't let that happen. I mean, I had brain surgery once, and they told me I was going to be out for five or six months, and I went back in five weeks because I was watching people's projects fall through the cracks, and I couldn't handle it. To me, that's just... It, it should be the, the value
1: system that anybody working in this business should have, you know? I, I know I've, I've picked up projects, and like... I work a 40 hour a week job. I have worked 20 hours a week with extracurriculars, like the brewery I kind of work at, stuff like that. And then the people are like, will you book us a tour? And I'm like, yeah, I bought up more than I can chew. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I I don't have time to do it properly. Sorry, I want to, if you pay me enough to quit my 40 hour a week job.
4: Yeah, you could do a bang up job on it. I mean, that's the trouble. It's like those of us who love music if somebody comes up it's like you want to help your first impulse is to say yes it happens to me a lot like I turned down a lot of projects not necessarily because there's anything wrong with them but because I'm like man you know there's only so many hours in the day and I don't want to fuck up by letting you down you know by accepting it and then not being able to do like the best that I can and honestly most of my friends in this business are the exact same way I think it's you know, I feel like the the perception is that 90% of the people in the music business are like skeevy, shady weasels, and then 10% of them rule. But my experience is that it's the opposite. You just always hear about the 10% of shady weasels, you know, and the rest of us are out there toiling away, you know?
1: I'll, I'll say that uh, whenever I've run in, whenever we've worked together at Riot Fest in Denver, and through email and whatnot, like uh, me and Jackie, the photographer that I worked with, you know Jackie. Yeah, was, she's the best. Her. She was here this weekend. She was bummed. She did, She was. She yeah. She was only here. You kept Thursday, that Friday, from and me. Saturday.
4: I could have dated I'm her.
1: Sorry, I, I mean we could still make that happen. Um,
4: Denver's but, just around the corner. But every, Jackie, I'm talking to you. <laughs> you can hear me, Bay?
1: She won't listen anyway. But we uh, we were talking about this afterwards. She's like. You know, Heather is all business when it comes to most people. But when you and me are back there, she's a buddy. Like, and then you look at the guys backstage at Riot Fest and they're all just like... I, I, I pretend putting my glasses on. I don't know, they're just like a lot of like too cool for school guys. And then there are a bunch of us that are back there like, Holy shit, I can't believe I'm back here. Like, what am I doing back here hanging out at Preston at Riot Fest? And uh, maybe I'm wrong in assuming that you catch that passion that we have. No, I totally
4: do. I'm like, these are my people. We're family. And that's the way everybody at Riot Fest feels. It's like, it's just hard. And it's hard to turn a profit. And it's unbelievably hard work. Why the hell wouldn't you do it for the love of the bands and the love of the people that like sort of become your family, you know? Exactly. I mean, it, it sounds corny, but it's true.
1: Well, and then I was also thinking about it on the bus ride over here. I was like, I wrote down the words that uh, Heather is a champion for the little guys. You know, because I'm not a big outlet at all, but yet you jumped through so many hoops for me.
3: Um, And maybe it's
1: because of how you started. I don't know.
4: It's because you're working your ass off and not getting paid for it. The bands are working their asses off and not getting paid for it. If there's anything that I can do to make either of your lives easier, I'm on it. Oh, yeah. There's that. And then, you know, there's also the concept that I learned very early on. And that is, today's zine kid is tomorrow's editor. You know, Jim DeRigatis, who does sound opinions here in town and used to write for Spin and Rolling Stone and has published books on all sorts of things... He had a paper-printed zine in Hoboken when he was 15. You know what I mean? Like, everybody
1: starts somewhere. My, my biggest regret, as somebody who's doing it again, is that I did it from, like, 18 to 22, and then quit until I was 29, 30. And I wish I had not quit, because I can only imagine how much further along I'd be.
4: Yeah, you know? but, I mean...
1: But as, I needed the cool.
4: As Coach Dicka says, <laughs> if its and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry yeah. Christmas, Damien. No. I mean, I'm sure you were doing other cool shit, you know, it's but... ran a
1: music venue for a while?
4: Um, I don't know. I feel like there's also, and this is going to sound awful, there's, you know, a pool of talent that to me is differentiated by two things single-minded passion for music which like you know you meet you and jackie you can tell y'all are like super duper into it you're ultra prepared you've got a million interviews lined up (laughs) you know and and the other defining characteristic is um you know being actually good at that To be brutally honest, there's some people out there that are super prepared, they're super enthusiastic, love them to death, but they can't describe music, you know? They can't write about it, Um, and so they're challenged, you know, because they're not actually journalists. And so that sweet spot in the Venn diagram is people who are actually talented at, like, helping articulate why something's special, you know?
1: Yeah. That's the sweet spot.
3: Hell yeah.
1: I flattered that I might be in that men's spot. Um, well, so how did you figure out you were good at, how did you get the publicity? Um. I mean, you lived in Austin, well, you're from I, Austin.
4: I grew up in Austin, um, surrounded by music. You know, my parents divorced when I was six and I went to shows with my dad all the time when I was little and, oh, yeah. you know, dirt bike races and, you know, he'd let Harley Davidson ladies babysit me and my sister and things like that you know so it's kind of a wild little upbringing in Austin and, and then I got you know in Austin there it isn't as clicky or wasn't back then like you could go see like you know some incredible blues performer like you know Freddie King and the next night you'd go to see like negative approach with Black Flag and the next night you'd go see like a conjunto band everybody went to everything that was good and so I grew up doing that um but I was also obsessed with magazines and newspapers and books and writing. And I really, my dream was to go to Columbia and, and become a journalist. And for various you know, family reasons that didn't happen. Um, but I started working in a live music club that had everybody from like, I don't know, Stevie Ray Vaughan played every Wednesday night, I think. And you know, then like the big boys and all these like punk rock bands would play on the weekends. And I was probably, like, 16 when I got the job yeah. bartending there. <laughs> um, <laughs> those, Texas those are the good price. old days yeah. where nobody, you know, back when things weren't regulated, but, um, or weren't <laughs> regulated as strictly as they are now.
1: I, I remember Louisiana, about the time I was turning 16, they were moving the drinking age finally to 21, just for the longest time in Louisiana. You could drink at 18.
4: Oh, yeah, when I was coming up, it was 18, and my sister turned 18, and then they moved it to 19, but if you were 18, when they moved it to 19, you were good to go. And they did that again with 21, you know, so there was all these underage shrinkers for like four years while they kept raising it. But anyway, I worked at this amazing, legendary club that's been in Austin since like the 40s, and, um, and then I, I went to work for a concert promoter, and I was doing everything from booking all of our advertising to um, settlement with like CPAs at like big shows, like doing all the financial settlement. Um, It was a wild wooly time in the concert industry. This is a time when like, you know, all tickets were cash and we would literally sit From 2 in the morning until 7 a.m., we could go to a bank with, like, guns and sacks of money waiting for somebody to come try to rob us because it was really common to try to rob concert promoters back then because everybody knew you had sacks of cash, especially if you had any interest in, you know, in the beer and in the beverages and, and the merch and all that stuff. So I started out in that world and basically learned everything that I needed to know to do what I do now. I didn't become a publicist straight up only until many years later. Um, I ran a record label. I was a talent buyer at a club. Um, I did. I was a radio promoter. I did everything but publicity for many years. But running a record label, I rewrote all the press releases and like I was really involved. What record label? It was called Blacktop Records in New Orleans. Okay. Was... It's mm-hmm. defunct now. Um, Anyway, I moved to Chicago and um, went to work at Victory, and basically, I got hired there because Tony was like, I don't know where I'm going to put her yet, but she's got all this experience, and I know she's going to lead my team, you know, because it's mainly a young label. A lot of young people work there, and I had, like, mad skills. So, um, I started out in the promotion department, and within a year, I was, like, running Uh, the publicity department and marketing and, you know, hiring some of the people who are, like, my best friends today and some of the coolest people at, you know, labels like Fueled by Ramen. You know, a lot of the people that went to work for me went on to work at major labels, you know, and did really strong work helping to break bands like
1: Fall Out Boy and that sort of thing. You're probably the reason Mm -hmm. why I got so many awesome uh, uh, CDs back in the day just being a little no-name zine out of Louisiana, like, you're like hey, we have our zine, do you want to advertise? No, but here's a bunch of free records.
4: Yep, well, you know, back then to give you an example um, today I might send out 150 of a new release, back then you would send out 750, yeah, yeah. you know, it was just like a huge, you know it was before the whole CD implosion but but it is a thing, it's like you know we didn't have social media numbers to measure like zines and their reach back then and so with the little ones it like it would break my heart I wanted to support oh, yeah. them financially but I had not I didn't have enough money you know so I'd be like well this is one way I can help
1: yeah. no it, it, it's know? great like it it, it it validated what you were doing when you went to the mailbox I'm like I got a free CD I got the new gray area record hell yeah the snow dogs, yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
3: I'm you know? kidding about
4: that, but um,
3: Still. I mean, I'm
4: not kidding about the band, I'm just kidding about that in particular. But you
1: know, was, was that the one
3: with I, the dogs?
4: Yeah, I probably, you know, got in trouble for sending out too many taking back Sunday CDs, but that maybe that's how we built them into a band that was yeah. selling gold records. You know, it's like a lot of kids can't necessarily afford the CD and they want to look at the lyrics and they want to look at the packaging and they want to like really sit there and soak it up and I'm of the opinion that you should give them that opportunity if they're going to make the effort to write about it and mind you my database is super detailed if I have a note that says that you were going to write about a record more than three (laughs) times and you don't you're done no more free records but if you're willing to make the effort I feel like you know when you stay on your good side <laughs> well, you know. No, yeah, well, I know. Um, but, but do you want me to explain like what a publicist does exactly? Yeah, let's do that.
1: Yeah, because I don't. I, I mean, and even I, I know I work with you guys, but I don't know what comes in on your side of the table. Like, like one one of the questions I had here is, what do you look for, uh, and what do you need from an outlet? What are you looking for?
4: Oh well the most coverage possible right. you know obviously I mean from an outlet it's like you know yeah. an interview and or a feature is better than a review um, and some people will say a video premiere is better than a review but I don't believe that I think that writing about the record is really important and that we shouldn't we shouldn't put that to the side you know what I'm saying um, But then it's like, okay, well, if it's going to be in the front of the book, well, where in the front of the book? Is it, you know, maybe this band is kind of too small to get, like, you know, an emerging feature, but maybe the singer or the bass player is really involved in some social justice campaign. So you can get, like, a first-person editorial placement that's even more powerful than a quick Q&A about where they got their band name.
0: Oh, God,
4: this is the worst. You know, but it's like, so you're kind of looking at, there's no one hard and fast rule. It depends on the publication and what their editorial imperatives are. And you look at that publication and figure out what the, the best possible placement is for the band based on where they're at in their career and and what they're involved in, you know, because, you know, in the punk world, you know, social justice and politics and stuff like that is a big deal, way way bigger deal than in the pop you know top 40 whatever that shit is well you know even more than in like rock and roll or you know alternative rock indie rock um so you know that's one of the first questions i ask people but i ask them do you have a weird day job like what is your deal what are there any angles that i need to know about it is there something you're passionate about that i should know about that maybe you don't sing about or ever mention, but it's of interest to people.
1: Right, like when you were pitching me Vamos, which I have yet to, I saw them at least, I, just, I haven't gotten to doing a thing with them, but you were like, they're heavily involved in the DIY culture and that, immediately piqued my interest because that's the angle you can go in there. So, that's cool that you do that because a lot of times it's like, do I want to interview Joe Schmo and whatever? But, you know,
4: if you were an older person, Damien, I might have said, you know, they're fucking sick, they're a three-piece and they love Gun Club and on and on and on and a bunch of bands that were like really important to people from the generation, you know, mine, but that your generation might not relate to so much. So it's like, all of it is true but I try to describe bands and, and talk about them in a way that's relatable to the person I am talking to yeah, That's awesome. you know and what it I'm works. saying you know because you could say oh Johnny Cash he was a really old dude that once recorded in a prison or you can say oh Johnny Cash the guy that brought country music to punk rockers everywhere you know yeah. both are valid
3: yeah. <laughs>
4: So I mean basically it's like you figure out how you want to talk about a band and, and, and I always check in with the band to make sure that how I want to frame things is, is something they're comfortable with. That it's how they see themselves as well. You know, like I'll sit down and say, you know, I'm hearing some parquet courts here. Do you hear it too? And they're like, yeah, I totally. We love that band. Or no Heather, not at all. We sound exactly like The Cure. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but I, to me it's a really interactive process. Um, It's not just me telling them how we're going to run this shit, you know, and then you start putting together a plan. You come up with, like, a list of targets that you're going to go after, and if you get those, then you have a new list of targets, and then there's podcasts. Is there something there, something you should do with podcasts? With this particular artist, it's, like, more podcast-friendly than this other one? You know, it's not necessarily narrowing the field, but you, you need to, like, not overwhelm yourself with ideas. You need to start with like a, 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 a strong idea of what you're going after, and from there you can expand out. You know, into other. You know, like you might have an artist who travels all over the world, like Brett Newsky, So you go, okay, I'm going to hit up all my cool music publications. But then you know I've got this list of travel bloggers oh, yeah. who write about international travel for DIY publications, well I'm going to hit them up about Brett because they're going to think he's fascinating. So I'm always looking for that other angle that might help that artist, that might get them to an audience that's not just the same audience that everyone's competing for. You know, but it may be a thing also where you're like, okay, I want to get them in the daily and the weekly in their hometown, because then their parents will get off their back about quitting their (laughs) band and going to college you know and then I'm looking at like these blogs that are long shots, these ones that I think we can get, you know. I have 7,500 people in my database so I'm cherry-picking targets just based on my personal knowledge of what people like, what they don't like, what they cover, what they don't cover and trying to come up with a cohesive plan that will get the maximum amount of attention for the band and if it works then you expand outwards from there, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm not gonna well, lie. we should
4: probably turn that off and get one more round of drinks because we're music
1: people and that's what we do. Yeah, we should. Yeah, let's hit this pause button. All right, we got our drinks. Yes. How's that wine? I'm revitalized.
4: <laughs>
1: this is a pretty decent beer. This is Satan's Mile.
4: Satan's Mile.
1: From South, South Loop Brewery. Mm-hmm. Pretty tasty. So I, I wanted to tell you, like, one of the reasons I wanted to, wanted to talk to you today is I'm doing a little bit of publicity myself, mm. and I just want to
4: competition. Hear... Not a competition. I want to I want to wanna... push his erase on
1: the recorder. No, I'm kidding. No, but but you know it, it's interesting to hear. Like you were talking a minute ago, you're like, oh well, I'm gonna hit a travel blog, and travel blogs is nothing I ever would have thought about for what a, um what's his name is doing. Brett Newski. So Brett Newski and I was like, oh, what a clever idea and so I'm you know I'm writing notes and hopefully those little bands at home are writing notes too like oh shit I can do that we're not trying to steal them no there's
4: plenty of work I'm turning down work all the time and Mm I I try everything I turn down I try to recommend them to other publicists who I think have the right skill set not just anybody but you know people I think who would really do a good job I'm like hey hit up this person hit up that person there's plenty of work um and you know a lot of people would assume that we're all competing for yeah. work and not necessarily helping each other but there's um there's a google group called music pr list that has about 570 entertainment publicists
3: hmm.
4: it's everybody from you know bruno mars publicists, film to punk rockets everybody it runs the gamut and if you're standing on the sidewalk in Manhattan and you've got a meeting and somebody's phone number has disappeared, you shoot an email to this, this address and five people will send you that cell number. Those are all five people who are competing with you for projects. You know, or for coverage.
3: Yeah.
4: Or you can say, oh my God, I haven't done anything in Louisville lately. Does anybody have a good Louisville media list? You'll get like three of them within like 15 nice. minutes. We help each other all the time.
1: It's funny because my personal, I, I tend on my website I don't give out my personal email, but I keep ending up on these. My personal email keeps ending up on these other lists. I'm starting to wonder. I always just always assumed somebody sold it. Maybe that too, but interesting. There's
4: there are a couple of people out there that are selling lists, but probably what's happening is there's but if they're that selling incision, yeah. Incision is uh, what they want is. To be the ultimate database of all media, and they want every publicist and every label to pay for their shit. And so they have people in every major city, like aggregating email addresses and content and all this stuff. But it's stupid. Yeah. Like if I've gotten incision lists before, like I was working a music film here. Their list had so many people who were completely the wrong target, who would then be offended that I was hitting them up. It, it, you know, I'm sorry. People are paying a lot of money for the wrong thing, but that's probably how your email address is getting out there, is by people
1: like Cision. That's yeah, okay. I don't mind. Sometimes I'm like, why is Epic Records emailing me about the next Julio Iglesias? I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, I get
4: that. Or I got a press release recently about a hip hop artist, but it wasn't about the hip hop artist. It was about the new model Mustang in his video. <laughs> Because that's something I want to go out and write about.
1: Anyway. So, um, I, I work, you know, again, I work with this little brewery. I'm doing some PR work for them. My buddies, I have buddies in a bunch of littler bands that are looking to increase their PR. And, like, I, I don't have the time to help them, but I do a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for those bands, what, what should they... To get to that next level, what do they need to have ready by the time they come to you?
4: Um, Well, they definitely need to have um, good content, good social media numbers. Like, they need to have good videos, not just a bunch of crappy bullshit. I don't mean like high budget conceptual videos, but I just mean like really great live stuff. All of us have a friend who can make that happen when you're playing, you know, come on. You need to have good Instagram numbers, good Facebook, if they're not good, they at least need to be decent, you need to be committed to building them. Because, I hate to say it, I don't choose bands based on their social media numbers, but editors do, because the publishers are selling ads want clicks. So if they've got a choice between three different bands that are coming through Denver, and one of them has a giant social media presence and the other two don't, you know who they're gonna choose. So it's not a matter of me wanting you for your social media numbers, it's a matter of me knowing who else wants you for them. Um, you need to be really, really good and have great songs, not just, you know, riffs. Um,
1: so <laughs> my garage band. You know, my
4: <laughs> ideal band has has a team, you know, this guy does the accounting, this guy does the graphic design, this guy does the booking or handles the manager and the booking agent or whatever, like they've delegated everything out and they can come to you and deliver it all. Um, that's not always the case because this is a creative endeavor that we're in and not everyone who is creative is also good at business. Right. Be, it's lovely when they are, it really makes my job easier. But some people come to me and I've got, you know, a date, a city, and a club, and I've gotta have my assistant go research the club, find out the ticket price, you know, all that The problem with that is it's time that you're paying me to pitch you, or you're my assistant, that she could be writing that press release not trying to find out what the ticket price is. So ideally you have a band that comes to you with like fully formed information. You know, that they've researched and they can provide to you. Um, and, you know, a lot of times if you're dealing with, like, punk and DIY, sometimes it's like the space is late putting up the Facebook and, you know, whatever. There's a million things that can happen. But doing your best to give me good information means that I spend more time working on your record and less time dicking around trying to get, get that info. Because... Yeah. When I send out press releases, which I'll send out a national one with your whole tour, then I'll send out a specific one for each date on, on the tour. And, you know, especially the older school people like dailies and weeklies, they want to see all of the info for the show right there. They don't want to go Google it. They want you, the publicist, to provide it all. So the faster we can make all that happen, the further we are on the road to getting tour press. And tour press means people come to your show. People come to your show, that means they might buy a T shirt. As we all know. So you know, it's not stereo gum, but it's localized and to me that's just as important. You can't probably more important forego one or the other. You gotta do, You've gotta do all of it. You've gotta do all of it. You've gotta do the NPR affiliate or the college radio station. I know some publicists were like, Oh, I don't do radio promotion. I'm like, if you can't hit up the public radio station or the or the cool
1: college station in that market, yeah.
3: you
1: and, know, and, and I'm a good, I'm like in that weird line where I'm older, but I'm still young, I guess, compared to the old school, well, new school compared way compared to elderly people like myself. Um, and I'm not saying that because I don't think of you as old at all, I don't have no idea how old you are, and I'm not going to ask you because, old as hell. because I don't believe you no matter what you say, and um. <laughs> You're young at heart, and that's all that matters. You know, I'm i of the school. It's like people are still in the car listening to the radio. They might have an iPod, but um, my lady friend listens to NPR every day, so she's gonna hear you. I used to say when I still did zines, I'm like, you can't read a computer on the toilet. Well, that's bullshit. You totally can now. But yeah, I definitely changed. I definitely have a stack of zines on the back. Of my commode that i can still when my phone is charging in the other room when i forget it and i'm like well let's read about
4: i still get music magazines yeah i mean i i get a lot of them and i mean i'm a big fan of being able to touch things and look at them and look at the images and the size the graphic designer intended it to be not the optimized size on my cell phone Part of that is because I'm old and my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And part of it is just because I like tactile things. I like books. I like records. I like magazines. You know, but I I think I'm fortunate to be not such a Luddite that I turn my back on all the new technology, which I've seen some older people in the business do. Like, Mm -hmm. I consume everything every kind of way, you know. But my preferred way is to be sitting on my couch and holding it in my hands and looking
1: at it. You know? God, now that I talk about it, I feel like I am young, because I'm like, oh, I'll just look it up on my phone. No, but but
3: still.
4: You know, but on the other hand, the other day I was like, had my phone on shuffle, just playing it through my computer while I was working, and I was like, damn, you know, my iTunes is on fire. So good. And I was totally happy with it, and I'm totally happy with Spotify. Like I just consume it every way, you know. I mean, I like all kinds of music. There's almost nothing that I don't like. And as a result, if I were to only listen to all the things I like on vinyl, I would need a really, really, really big apartment and a
1: lot of money. But like, I I buy records. I buy records on vinyl and then turn around and listen to them on Spotify. And my record player works it's just in the other room
4: well exactly like if i'm in my living room i listen to my vinyl if i'm 20 feet away in the kitchen office i listen to spotify whatever it all works
1: uh so with the introduction to this i'll i'll mention that you've worked with bands like smoking popes naked ray gun victory records you mentioned taking back sunday a couple times um Riot Fest. Of Riot, oh, of course, Riot Fest. How could I? I can't believe I'm forgiving that. So, uh, w- when you look for an artist, though, beyond what we just talked about, is there something in the personality of the people you're looking for?
4: Um, I'm looking for a middle range between naked ambition and total slackerdom. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, there's some bands that I can name that are completely nice personable people who I know here around Chicago, but everyone is put off by them because they wear their ambition a little too close on their sleeve, you know? It's like you need to be relatable as a human and that right. means means a lot to me. Um, and I think your songwriting reflects that as well, you know? like. If you see yourself as, as one of us on this universe, then I'm more likely to relate to you than if you see yourself as somebody who needs to get from point A to point B in the quickest way possible. I don't know. Does it, that's probably not very articulate and no, it but makes I, me sound like a hippie, and I hate hippies, but, you, no, know, I, I guess, well, you know,
1: I guess, you know... And again, like, the only other industry person I've really talked to lately was Joe Sid from Side One Dummy. And he was like, look, I'm just looking for honest people doing honest stuff. And Very and, good way to put it. And he's like, I'm not looking for the... And it's kind of what you were talking about, you know. Like I mean, are, your
4: music has to be fantastic yeah. or I'm not going to work it. <laughs> I should talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah, bring it.
4: There's a thing, if you're a publicist, where... If you have a certain level of credibility with writers, they will open your emails, they will listen to a couple of songs, whereas somebody they've never heard of before or whose music taste they don't trust, they just don't open. I'm sure you get a ton of I, shit that you don't open because you're like, most who are them. you? Right? Yeah. And so credibility is super important. You know, I recently had a health thing and a huge hospital bill, and I was offered a giant... Uh, a a project that would have paid an insane amount of money for something that doesn't really fit with my values and wasn't that great musically and I had to turn it down because if the people who trust you start feeling like you're just another flack then you're done you know that's you have to protect your credibility so first and foremost a band has to be great I don't care whether it's like you know goat herder music from Mm -hmm. Turkey, or skate punk, or metal, or whatever, it has to be awesome. But then, you know, as I was mentioning before, the other level is just like some level of humanity that I can relate to, therefore, I think other people can. You don't wanna,
1: and there has to be a story in there somewhere too, I assume.
4: You know what, if you're good, you can figure (laughs) out the story. Preferably, there would be a story in there, but like I said before, if you're working with young bands that haven't yeah. done much yet, you have to find a story. Okay, maybe the story isn't that they've done any big tours yet. Maybe the story is that there's sort of a hidden theme through the record and the songs about something. Yeah. Yeah. And to that end, I approach my initial... Situation with a band is like I need lyrics, I need music, and I'll sit there and listen in headphones, really, really intently, while I read the lyrics and try to parse out: is that a harmonium? Are you playing like you know a regular bass or, or a baritone guitar in that part? Whatever, and and then I ask the band endless questions about the things that I'm not sure about, and sometimes when I do that. Stories come out that no one expected to hear, and then you're like, That's my hook. That's my story. I'm sure it's similar to what you do. You interview a band, and you're like, Oh my God, I had no idea. And you have new insight into their album
1: that you didn't have on your own. Exactly. Talking to them. I'm not always the best at getting to that point. But when we open that, and sometimes I'll open that door and not know how to go through it. But I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on my 100,000 hours, as Malcolm Gladwell would say. Um,
4: but you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. you ask a question, you expect an answer, and you get a completely different answer. And it opens a new door right. into the way you view that piece of art or that or that record album or whatever that thing is. And then you're like, oh, my God, this is the thing that makes it special that other people would, are going to love, Yeah. you know? Instead of going, shared the stage with the Flaming Lips in June 2015. You know, who cares?
3: Yeah.
1: And, you know, uh, having worked, I ran music venues. And in the 90s, whenever I was, you know, growing up into the scene, it would be like, there's a band from California playing in Louisiana? We got to go. Now it's like, oh, there's a band from California playing. Who cares? Right, but you get it is,
4: jaded really fast if it is an individual
1: kind of story that you're and, hearing. And running venues, would be like, this band toured with Circle Jerks pops in the top of my head. And people are like, so? They're not the Circle Jerks. Neither the Circle Jerks did show up. How do you get people to go? So, I
4: mean, it's a little bit of cred, you know, yeah, that your band was good. able to get far enough to do it. But... A lot of times I have found—I mean, so many times I have found—a deeper story in a record or in songs that the band would never have thought to tell me, you know. And then
1: I've seen—you're—that you're journalist you always wanted to be, after all.
4: <laughs> I'm—I wanted to be a writer, and and I do write a lot. I write artist bios and press releases and you know I've had stuff stolen by magazines so many times which I take as a huge compliment you know I worked with this like really overdriven like super high-energy band from the Ozark Mountains um, called Ha Ha Tonka oh, I remember that. and uh, I wrote this lead on their first record and it was roaring out of the Ozarks with a Bible in one hand and a, and a bottle in the other you know, it was like, bottle in one hand and a Bible in the other, ha-ha, tonka, blah, 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 right? Well, the second record comes out, I get confirmed, review, and spin, and I open it up, and the sub-headline under, like, you know, the label was, roaring out of the Ozarks with a bottle in one hand and a Bible in the other, and I was like, rad! Oh, yeah? You were
1: know? in spin?
4: But, I mean, it was... Huh two years later and so it's like it was a phrase that stuck in their heads they might not even remember why they knew that yeah. phrase but I think that's cool when you can come up with some kind of visual that sticks in people's heads before they've heard it yeah. you know
1: and so you mentioned you worked at Victory mm-hmm. I'm going to switch gears you worked at Victory I, I assume you left I don't, I don't know that story but I, ha-
4: yes I quit
1: yeah I hear Tony's a joy to work with.
4: You know, I hear he's really mellow now.
1: I talked in the cab once with him here in
3: Chicago.
4: You know, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met my entire life, and that's saying something. I can't, I cannot stress enough how intelligent that man is, for good or evil. Um, You know, when I moved here, it was right around 9-11 and there were no jobs and I was brand new in town and I took a job there and he treated me really, really well because I had the experience that he needed to like move his company forward. You know, so I got giant Christmas bonuses and he treated me for the most part with a lot of respect, but he's a maniac and you got a lot of all caps (laughs) messages at three in the morning CCing, you know, the other 33 members of the staff and those weren't designed to humiliate me they were primarily designed to humiliate some younger person and terrorize everyone else and i i hated that approach like that's never how i've managed staff and i found it
3: really wrong um
4: and i'm not going to comment on all his litigation because it's not my place right, but right, right, right. uh it was disturbing to me at a very deep level and um you know i built this team of amazing people stephanie marlow who i'm sure you work with you know all these great great people and you know we all left uh for obvious reasons and um My story is a little more personal. Like, right when I was about to resign, I found out that I had to have a a super major brain surgery, and so I couldn't resign because I had to keep my insurance. So it was like the biggest slap in the face when you're ready to move on. Then it's like, nope,
1: you can't. You're stuck. What what happened to the brain surgery? If you don't mind me asking.
4: I had a brain aneurysm.
1: God
4: damn. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get to quit for another six months, but that was bone crushing because I was ready. You know, you make a decision. You're doing it? And then the doctor's like,
1: no, you're not doing it. And the universe itself says no.
4: Yeah, you get slapped down. But, you know, out of all of the things that happened there, a lot of really great things happened. And a lot, I mean, I could not be prouder of some of the bands that I worked with. Darkest Hour, Taking Back Sunday, you know, Bayside. Solid dudes. I could go on. I feel like... I'll be embarrassed at who I <laughs> forgot to mention, but I worked with so many good bands and so many good music people, and, you know, I wouldn't trade it, you know?
1: And, and the thing I want to get to is it takes a lot of courage to, as far as I'm concerned, it takes a lot of courage to step out of the, the shadow of this somewhat giant record company and go out on your own. But you started
4: well. After. I didn't go, no, I, I didn't start it right after that. Okay. I when I left Victory, I had accepted a job at another label, and it's kind of funny because I couldn't tell Tony that because yeah. the instant you gave notice, he'd kick you out, and I was afraid that that would mess up all of the initiatives that we had going on that month. Oh no, so. I told him I was just taking a break because I wanted to have that 30 days to get all the team prepared to take over, make sure everything was cocacetic because as you I was saying before, I didn't want any bands slipping through the cracks because there were like major changes in leadership. That's not okay. You know, and no one tells you that when they set your release date, like, oh, maybe there's going to be a giant change in leadership.
1: Nope. But, but in so, all the stories from the nineties, that's what you hear. Right. So
4: I said, I'm going to take a break for a little while, which was a lie, because I wanted that 30 days to make sure everything was going smooth and then walk out the door. And then I walked out the door and I went to work at another label um, here in town that's really, really well thought of called Bloodshot Records. Um, And they do everything from like, quote, quote, insurgent country, whatever that means, to punk, to... Soul, like Andre Williams to Garage like do all, they do all kinds of music there and it's a great label sense. and when I left there I started my own
1: company oh, uh, how do you, starting your own company though is still it's a ballsy move how have you decided it's time to move on on your own
4: you know I was thinking about it not sure thinking about it not sure and um, I remember asking my then husband, like, should I pull the trigger? And he was like, do it. Just do it. You can make this happen. And I had no idea. Like, I turned down work a lot. I had no idea that it would be like that. I thought it, was just, it would just be scraping and it would be terrible. And instead, I've been really, really busy and
1: and shit's awesome. Hell yeah. You know? And then where did Riot Fest come in through it? Did, did they come on...
4: Um, a journalist friend of mine here in town was friends with, uh, she's from Detroit and the marketing director for WriteBest uh, was from Detroit, you know, so they were friends from, you know, seen there and, and, you know, he was like, hey, we need to get somebody on board. And this is back before we were outdoors, when it was like in, you know, various venues around town and all that, and, you know went and talked to them talked to Mike and like we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff and he's like a little bit younger than me but he knows you know I mean Mike's got encyclopedic knowledge of everything (laughs) you know music wise so I never felt like oh you know he's from this generation I'm from that generation like he knows everything he loves it I mean, he reformed so many bands before oh, anybody no. cared.
1: I think, uh, Jeff earlier today, was like, "Oh, he reformed this band," and then Jeff goes, well, "I can't remember any of the other bands other than my band, but he reformed a lot of bands." And I'm like,
4: All right, yeah." So many.
1: And, oh, Body Body Boston. Oh, you mentioned that, didn't you? Earlier, mm-hmm. somebody did. I don't remember.
3: But... And that's that's awesome. I,
1: I like that your story started out. You know, you just worked at a bar and you worked your way up in, into this thing. I think a lot of people think about music. They're like, either I'm a, I'm in a band, or I'm a spectator. And yet, there are people like yourself out there that are mm-hmm. an integral part without ever picking up an instrument. There's well, you know, so many ways to participate.
4: Absolutely. And I mean, here in Chicago, well, fortunate, there's a music industry, um, sound engineering, journalism, art school called Columbia here in Chicago. Yeah. We had a million interns from there. A lot of them have gone on to work in this industry forever, not just for a little while. And um, You know, I get asked to speak there at least once a year and I'm always kind of embarrassed because I don't have a degree
3: so?
4: and I'm afraid they're sitting back there going oh my god why am I spending all this money I could just go out there and do it like she did well, okay. but it's a different world now like I, I think you can barely get Starbucks to look at your resume if you don't have a college degree like I feel like it's like nowadays you like have to do that and so I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite the girl that didn't have to but it was a different time you know yeah. You could get away. We called it earn while you learn. You know, you just yeah. go out and work and find your way to what you want to do and nowadays it's like earn while you learn. That's an internship which means you make zero. Yeah. I never ever had an internship. You know? Yeah, me neither.
1: I just worked and did my shit. And <laughs> I worked a lot for free but it was never an internship. I worked for a lot of free. I in I've worked for a lot of free beer. A lot of my paychecks have been like, all right, here's your two hundred dollar bar tab for the next month. I'm like, all right, cool.
4: For, you know, I've but worked for just nothing if it was the right thing to do. But you know, I, I don't know. It's so hard to encapsulate into one podcast. It's like, right. on one hand, I've worked straight up for free if it was the right thing to do. On the other hand, I once, and this is unheard of got a Christmas bonus from a band who hired me to work for them. Which means, you know, you're a six week, a nine week, a 12 week campaign, maybe it's 18 months, I don't know what it is. You negotiate a price, they pay you that price. Said band sent me a check at Christmas with a note that said, we love you, Heather, comma, the smoking popes hell yeah and
2: course, it's still it on my
4: is. refrigerator hell yeah and the money was awesome you know but it, the gesture meant so much to me it's like no one does that in this business totally classy move you know
1: oh, one of my favorite bands as you know
4: and and they mm-hmm. do stuff like that like they're not just great because they're fucking great they're also great because they're such quality human beings. That's what I was saying earlier. about I want to see the humanity. It's like
3: yeah.
4: I want you to be a fantastic, then and hopefully be somewhat organized. But I want to feel like we have a shared humanity and loving, yeah, loving life and the world and music and art and culture and justice and you know all these things are all wrapped up.
1: And and it's not. And you, you use the phrase, like, you worked for them, but you're not looking for people to work for, you're looking for people to work with, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, we do work together, but I feel like I work for my clients. Yeah. They don't work for me. It's not a mutual all right, all right, yeah. thing. We're, I'm not going, okay, here's $10, and you give me 20 back, and then... I mean we do work together, we totally do, and, and that's why I love my clients, because we collaborate so much. But straight up, they're paying me. And they're paying me a lot of times, you know, hard-earned money from their bar job.
3: Boy.
4: I better not fuck it up. <laughs> it's hard-earned money.
1: Especially in Chicago. Every bar I've been into in Chicago, except for probably this one, has been a band dude behind the bar. He's probably the Exactly, and those
4: guys are paying people like Heather West, so I cannot fuck that up. It's a sacred bond that we have. You know, bartender to whiskey drinker. No, I'm
3: kidding. <laughs>
1: Publicist to musician, you know? Um, well, this... Like, even just coming from my side of it, this is, uh, this is why I want to sit down and talk to you, because there's a lot of this... I suspected, but didn't know, and I don't think anybody's really... Like, you talk to so many... Magazines, magazines need to be talking to you because you guys have the best stories. Again, we didn't even touch half the stories you've told me before, but I think we've hit. I think we fit a good, pretty good chunk. Next time, when we're hanging out a ride. we'd best.
4: have to do like a, a, couple, a couple, more. A couple more. I mean, I, <laughs> you have no idea, um, but. I just feel like, you know, the most important thing in this business isn't money, it's shared values and shared enthusiasm and like, if me and Damian are screaming like little girls while a band plays in the middle of a fucking dust storm when it's 95 degrees in Denver, well, success.
1: <laughs> At least it was a dust storm and well, the, the first day, first two days of dust storms, Then the rainstorm and then the mud pit. I don't
4: know if I told you, but I had like second-degree burns on my hands. Burns? Burns on my hands from laying them on my laptop in the press tent
3: under the shade.
4: It was that hot in there, and I was there for like 18 hours. Am I talking
1: about your hand real quick? Did you
4: your arm continue to? Oh, dude, such a long story and not not fun to hear. It's better. Check it out. I can look it.
1: Yeah, I was, and you know, I don't know you very well, but I was worried. You know, because we... It was
4: really scary. We're, we're, we're
1: buddies, I care about buddies. No,
4: I woke up one morning, and my hand didn't work. It was like... I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't type. I typed for a living. All of a sudden, I'm trying to do press release with one hand. I mean, it was... And I was... I didn't understand. And I called a friend in New Orleans who's a doctor, and he was like, that's not okay. you got to...
3: Yeah.
4: Anyway, that... Um, we started you... an odyssey that has ended with $24,000 for the medical bills. Jesus. And the day that I postponed the surgery, my hand started working again. And the doctor, you know what he had to say? He goes, wow, too bad we didn't do that surgery, I could take credit for that. I wanted okay. to punch him in the throat. Yeah. Couldn't make
1: the fist to do it. No, I'm just kidding. With this one, yeah, bad joke.
4: <laughs> Use self-control.
3: Uh, no, it's just hell.
4: ridiculous. And um, but the whole fall was a nightmare because, like, if you can imagine trying to do like a two thousand word artist bio with
1: one hand. Yeah. Oh, I mean. I mean, left?
4: I'm a touch typist, so only having one hand and the other one just being like, that's how
1: it was. It was fucked. And, and word prediction on your. Whatever phone computer is not southern, good.
4: southern. Yeah, it's not that good. Not feeling it. And I finally bought Dragon Dictation. I get
1: what you're saying. Southern. With the
4: fourth voice rec- they have like a fancier one that has a voice recognition thing that would learn to understand me. And I spent two hundred dollars on it, and eighteen hours later, my hands started working again. Magic. Oh. Anyway, you just it's a mystery.
1: All right, so let's wrap it up. Um, best way to wrap it up, I mean, you covered what bands should do before they get a publicist, what they should just do, period. Talked a little about what I should do. This is how professional I am. You're, you're seeing the band behind the curtain now, and you're never going to give me another assignment again. No, Damien's had a long weekend. Very I've long tried, weekend. a lot this Chicago weekend. Chicago
4: will kill your ass. you got to be tough here. This been... I think he's come through it fairly strongly. Um, might
1: recruit him next year. Oh, I don't know. like you just handed Damn. me a bunch of bunch of stuff. Who should you're yeah. the publicist? Who should we be? You know,
4: Let's the 2016 music draft.
3: <laughs>
4: Damien will be in it.
1: Oh really? But who should we uh, who should we, we be listening to? Brett Newsom. Uh, Brett
4: Newski. He's this kid from Milwaukee. He writes incredible songs. Uh, his new record is produced by. Um, Victor DiLorenzo from the Violent Films. hell yeah he's like 24 or, or maybe 17 or something he's young as hell and he's about to play his thousandth live show this kid's insane yeah and he's traveled all over the world all over the world all over the world like not just Europe a couple of times like everywhere yeah plays all the time he loves it um I'm working on so many projects right now I know
1: I know I and I worked in music venues people to be like what's the next good show coming up and I'm like I can't even see past a week from now I can only see what's happening t- well there t- is today.
4: one band that I feel like your readers listeners should know about it's this band called Western Star have you heard of him no dude okay do you like the Pixies yes do you like them, Lizzy yes they sound like if those bands had a baby they would be called Western Star yes they live half the time in Baltimore and the other half the time like on a ranch that they work in Texas. And they fucking rock. I'll, I'll send you the CD for cool. sure. Right. But anybody who likes those bands should like YouTube up Western Star because they
1: rule. And they tour all the time. Anybody you're not working with that we should keep an eye on? I mean, not to give somebody else credit
4: no i have no problem giving other people credit but i my mind goes blank when you tell me that and i know I've been right? listening to so many good things lately well, mean, how about
1: i list some of the bands that you work with that are like um uh, god damn it I, I immediately my brain goes blank archie powell and the exports are great yeah they're fantastic um, and they're
4: about to start recording again
1: and when they come out to denver i will get them really really drunk and chat with them
4: oh my god it's really hard to get them drunk because oh, they just take the part? is
1: one of the guys having well, a party? Well, Ryan X4's 30th
4: birthday is tonight, so oh. I've got to gotta go over there. I'm sorry to keep you sitting here instead of hanging out with him. Um. I just want to say into the microphone before we close up that I think that um, Damien's got Chicago hot dog mustard on his hoodie. Probably. I mean, that's a sign that you've been here. It's like a badge. <laughs>
1: All right. Um, well, that's the ending right there. I can't think of anything else. Anything else you want to say? Mic drop. We're going to keep talking after we hit stop. but. All right, buddies. Heather, thanks for hanging out and chatting with me while I was in Chicago. Thanks for helping try to keep me busy with a whole bunch of interviews. Uh, I'm really, really excited to put up the interview with Jeff from Naked Ray Gun here the next couple weeks. Uh, I was super cool. I can't believe I got to chat with him, and that was all because of Heather. Um, Too bad about the Josh catheter from uh, Smoking Popes, but that'll happen next time I'm in Chicago, or maybe eventually when Josh is out here. Uh, again, Heather, I know you're a busy lady. Thanks for, for taking an hour out of your very, very busy night to hang out and chat with me. Uh, now, make sure you visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. Sign up for the email list. Subscribe on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. You know, all that good stuff. We're on Stitcher. Uh, tune in. And pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. Uh, before we get out of here, let's take a listen to another one of Heather's many, many fabulous bands. With a little band out of Chicago called Vamos. I believe I'm saying that right. I'm, knowing me, I'm probably not. But then again, that's why it's called Most was was. Damn it damien and not mostly harmless with always gets it correct the first time and every time damien <laughs> and plus it just doesn't have the same ring <laughs> vamos is a band that heather has been pitching to me and uh trying to get me to do something with for a very long time and i actually thought it might have happened but um showed up at this super awesome diy punk rock collective place uh just a couple blocks away from township saw some really great band. Saw a band called midnight reruns from milwaukee um saw Bamos and god bless it i can't remember the name of the other great band i saw that night i should look it up but i don't have the time No, I'm just kidding Um, Bomos really blew the place away They were so incredible, such a great band And hopefully one day they will make it out here to Denver And maybe I'll be able to get a little chat with them Next time they're out this way If not, hey, next time I'm in Chicago Hopefully this will be a pretty regular segment Of me traveling places and interviewing uh, hometown bands in their hometown Uh, If you missed it, uh, we did two previous episodes of 88 Fingers Louie Anyway, buddies, I've rambled just way too much you already know that. Uh, so let's take a listen to a track from Vamos. It's from the newest record, Spider Bait, with a song conveniently entitled Spider Bait as well. Uh, you can find a link to Vamos, Heather West and Western Publicity, and Brett Newski who played earlier in the show, all at mostaharmlesspodcast.com. And again, Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, tuned in, yada, yada, yada. All right, buddies, I'm going to quit rambling. We'll see you in the funny pages. Take care now.